Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history as well as making and or baking anything that we can. So what have you been creating recently? Well, at your request, <laughs> I've been trying to figure out mosaic crochet. Yes, it's amazing. I haven't quite got my head around it yet because my brain just says, no, you can't keep skipping everything. <laughs> but I, I think I'm almost there. I'm going to confess at this point that I have actually never done mosaic crochet. I've done mosaic knitting. <laughs> um, but I don't know how you do it in crochet. But um, for, for those that haven't come across it, mosaic crochet or knitting is a technique in which you kind of skip some stitches and do others in order to make it look like a mosaic. Um, like two colours, um, usually contrasting colours, interacting to make a pattern, and it's really cool. Yeah, um, so basically Hazel is going to make me a dress, and I asked what I could make her in return because reciprocity and friendship. And <laughs> Hazel basically went, so I'm really bad at finishing big projects. Will you learn this technique and make me a blanket? So I'm trying. <laughs> I am very excited and yeah, very much appreciate. Um, I, I have finished a blanket exactly once in my life. So this is good. <laughs> it's probably going to be black and hot pink. Oh, that's a good combination. Combination. Mm. It'll look really bold and interesting, and also be really easy for me to keep track of which bit is which. Excellent. So, what have you been working on? Uh, I'm on a bit of a finishing kick at the moment, which is very odd for me. Um, but I, I think it's that partly getting to the end of the year and like basically <laughs> not having finished much. And then like I have quite a lot of unfinished projects and it's getting to the point that it's starting to make me feel guilty if I do new ones. So ah, it's kind of like watching you. it's kind of like it's time, you know. So <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people that can relate to this feeling. Um, so I've been starting kind of small. I finished a a beaded Christmas bauble that has a dragon on it. Oh, that's um, cool. It's very, very cool. His name is Cedric and I love him and he's very sparkly. Um, so that's a project from last year that's finally done. And now I'm finishing off a hat that I started some time earlier this year. Um, it's okay, you don't have to admit how long. I don't even know, but it's a, it's a crochet hat and it's nice and I actually need a hat. So, um, I mean, as a measure of how long it's been, um, the, the yarn, the colour of this hat has actually faded a little bit at the top from where it was left on a chair next to a window oh, for wow. a long time. <laughs> Fortunately, it 
looks kind of cool so so what um, you're saying is it's an ombre hat and everything's fine yeah <laughs> let's go with that <laughs> ombre hats are in this year that's definitely decided. definitely not a trend that's i don't even know how how trends work anymore but we're bringing that one back I vaguely remember ombre hair being a thing. I don't remember ombre hats. Ombre clothing was definitely a thing. There was a while where, like, everything was ombre. But it is not this day. <laughs> so, surprisingly related to trends, and you'll see why, would you like to learn about forks? I most certainly would. <laughs> I'm I'm excited for cutlery facts, although I keep being tempted to pronounce it cutlery, and I feel like that might be a different thing. I feel like that's like the cuttlefish version of humanity. <laughs> Crimes against cutlery. <laughs> do an or maybe on cuttlefish actually. Yeah. Do people eat cuttlefish? Is that a thing? Um, they're used for sepia dye, I believe, or at least were. Oh, I didn't know that. Great, we should do an episode on cuttlefish. Or cutlery. But forks. <laughs> so, the basic idea of something long and pronged for grabbing things is, you know... You pick up a stick and you do that. Birds do that. But how old do you think the first um, eating forks are? Um, I'm going to go with maybe 18th century as, as like a standard dinner table thing. Okay. You are right in terms of Great Britain. Ooh. Um, I'll take that. <laughs> but the oldest forks that archaeologists have found date to potentially 2000 BC. Oh, wow. Um, in Bronze Age civilizations um, alongside the Yellow River in China. Wow. Um, so they've pretty much always been used in China. Which, um, yeah, it seems to have been a class thing because basically eating with a fork gives you more of an overbite. Like the reason most people now have an overbite rather than looking like ancient skulls is because we eat with forks. Oh, I, I think I remember vaguely hearing about this. So you can actually tell who's been using a fork in the archaeological record. Yeah, um, especially, I believe, the Han Dynasty? That's amazing. Um, so these would be bone, or later you have uh, bronze forks in sort of Greece, Persia. Are any of these still usable? Because I kind of like the idea of eating with a thousand-year-old fork. Um, I mean, you'd probably get kind of a weird taste from the verdigris on the bronze, but 
I mean, if the, <laughs> if you could steal it from a museum, you could probably use it. As as far as I'm willing to go. Is it ethical to steal an ancient fork from a museum in order to perform experimental archaeology? Hmm. Answers on a postcard. <laughs> Let us know. So what's next in the journey of the fork? Um, so it spreads through the Middle East. And then by the 11th century, we've got it in Italy at the same time as pasta especially long pasta like spaghetti becomes more pr more prominent okay so between that and the noodles there is speculation that it's basically forks were created versus earlier eating with hands or with just a single spike so that we could eat noodles i love that um so also if you're listening and you're bad at using chopsticks, don't worry, forks were literally developed for this purpose. <laughs> also, before you mentioned the word forks, it did sound a bit like we were talking about a disease, like it's spreading through the Middle East and into Italy. Um, I mean, a lot of diseases did spread through the Middle East into Italy. I guess, yeah, like Silk, Europe. Silk Road. <laughs> yeah. But, Basically, but we're the Silk Road, but it's forks. But it's forks. It's fine. Yeah. No one's hurt. No one's hurt. It's just forks. Um, so yeah, by the 1600s, you've got the middle and upper classes arriving to dinner with their own fork and spoon in a special box called a cadena. Oh, fancy. Which... This specific thing, the cadena, was then introduced to the French court by Catherine de' Medici, who you may know from the show Rain. <laughs> Amazing. Does that, because I, I would admit to enjoying a bit of Rain, um, but it's been a while, and is, is the fork mentioned? Like, are there any forks in it? There are forks used in Rain. Because I remember watching it and pointing out to Nick, like, those forks are historically accurate. Because I like that. Of all the things that they could have had historically accurate in the show, they picked the forks. I mean, a lot of shows, even shows set in the, med in the medieval era, have people eating with two-pronged forks, regardless of whether... They actually would have. I assume because it looks kind of gross to see people picking up food. Like, you only really see that when it's like, oh, I'm Henry VIII and I'm gluttonous and terrible and I'm going to eat the meat with my hands. Yeah, that whole I'm going to throw the bones over my shoulders, even though, like, this is a royal dining room. So, yeah, we have um, writing by um, Coriat. Coriat? From 1611, mentioning forks, but they were viewed as an Italian affectation. <laughs> <laughs> An actual saint is on record as saying that it seemed a feat and excessively delicate. <laughs> Fellas, is it effeminate to use a fork? <laughs> Again, an actual saint. 
Wow. <laughs> was anti fork. <laughs> Maybe that's the next thing we can bring back in 2020 anti forking. I, I, f- I feel like this is not the year to become less hygienic. <laughs> Somebody, um, somebody asked Dr. Anthony Fauci if he recommends using a fork. <laughs> <laughs> so the fork then spreads to Britain with... Um, so the fork actually spreads to England with um, Catherine of Braganza, who was a Portuguese princess and wife of Charles II. Okay, that rings a bell because of the Horrible Histories song. <laughs> yeah. So she introduces it to the English aristocracy in the 17th century, and then by the 18th century, it's expected that there will be forks if you go somewhere to eat. Okay, but you don't have to bring your own anymore. No. Unless Um, you're, like, super fancy. Interestingly, it didn't really become popular in the US until pretty much the American Revolution. Okay. Um, Charles Dickens actually talks about people eating in um, Pennsylvania on a riverboat, that they thrust their broad-bladed knives and two-pronged forks further down their throats than ever I saw the same weapons go before, except in the hands of a skilled juggler. Americans were apparently not good at eating with forks, according to Charles Dickens in 1842. That's a bit dramatic. Yeah. Um, There's also a quote from an 1887 book of manners explaining that forks are now fashionable. (laughs) And explaining to the reader how to use a fork correctly including for eating ice cream an ice cream fork so there are a lot of kinds of forks you've probably heard of some of them like uh, a chip fork like we talked about last time mm-hmm. or um, a dessert fork with the long prongs mm-hmm. um, there's also a cake fork or a pastry fork which I quite like which basically has one tine flattened I do like the cake fork, yeah, so mm. that you can like scoop up the cake. And then there is also um, ver- various kinds of fork, like the ice cream fork, the berry fork, <laughs> um, and the terrapin fork. The what, sorry? Terrapin fork, um, which was used for eating turtle soup, because these are all sporks. Oh. Is that an important definition? Well, they're all different. You know, they're slightly different, so that you have to go and buy all of them to be fashionable. Oh. Um, but yeah, 
there is a chance that people like Jane Austen would have eaten with a spork. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I know they probably wouldn't have called it that because like the concept of mashing two words together wasn't as big, but I like to imagine spork in the place of that. Like Elizabeth looked winningly at Mr. Darcy over her spork at dinner. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, it does make sense to use sporks for these things because you've got, you know, fruit served in syrup and you want to eat the fruit and the syrup. Mm-hmm. You've got a soup which has bits in it, so you want to maybe spear a bit of terrapin when you're eating your turtle soup. Okay. And, and the ice cream, interestingly, so during this kind of, I'm just going to say the Jane Austen period because people know what that is, um, ice cream was often served moulded and you'd have a slice of ice cream on a plate and you can't eat off a plate with a spoon because that's uncouth. Oh no, that would be terrible. So you have a spork. <laughs> and you cut a piece off the off the the chunk from the mold that you've got on your plate, and you spear it. Or okay. if it started to melt, you can scoop it up with again your spork, <laughs> possibly a sterling silver spork from Tiffany's, as in oh. breakfast at Tiffany's, because they did sell sporks. Oh, now I like want cutlery Tiffany. sets, but that included sporks. <laughs> Now I want Tiffany's spork jewellery. <laughs> I'm sure it is possible to still somewhere get silver sporks, even if it is only as a charm bracelet or something. Oh, spork earrings. How cute would that be? <laughs> I would love spork earrings. Wow. So at this point, was it, was it still like an upper class thing or had it spread? Had the sporks trickled down? <laughs> um, sporks don't seem to have trickled down. Trickled down? Trickled down, even. <laughs> I can use words. Um, because these are, you know, you are hosting dinner parties, everything has to be very proper, you get all the correct cutlery. Most people would probably just use a normal fork. I mean, most people would not have had ice cream. I was going to say, I imagine or t- most... Or turtle most, soup. Yeah, I'm imagining like most lower class people aren't eating ice cream on the regular. Like, I, you can get it as a street food at this point, right? In the little tiny cups. Um, ice cream as a street food is... I'm going to have to double check now. Because I seem to remember, and I can't remember the precise era, but um, the the penny lick being a thing where you could get like a little cheap um, scoop of ice cream in a cup, um, and then you finish it and you give the cup back, (laughs) and they refill the cup for somebody else. Yes, this uh, the penny lick is um, late nineteenth century. Okay, and was banned in Britain in eighteen (laughs) ninety nine. Because they didn't really, they couldn't really sterilize the glasses, <laughs> and people got cholera. Oh no! But yeah, I mean, the poorer people 
may well have had the berries in syrup and some of the things that you could eat with a spork, but they probably just used spoons. Okay. Um, I am just imagining a sort of up-and-coming merchant coming home, like, darling, I bought the sporks. <laughs> We're now a spork-owning family. <laughs> <laughs> Display them forthwith. Forkwith. <laughs> so that is a brief history of forks and sporks. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love it. I'm Mod Paper from Probably Bad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. Um, so yeah, if you want an episode about anything you want, or if you want our recipes, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash breadandthread. Uh, you can also email us at breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or ideas or um, want to tell us whether or not it's okay to steal a sport from a museum for experimental archaeology purposes. And you can find us on Twitter at Bread and Thread for the same purpose. So Hazel, what is our local larder this week? Um, so I'm going to talk about jellied eels. Lovely. <laughs> now, this is quite a famous one. Um, I'm not sure how internationally famous it is, but it's certainly pretty famous within Britain and possibly Europe um, as a London dish, specifically the East End of London. It's um, it's what you eat if you're a cheeky cockney. <laughs> it's like the stereotypical East End food. Um, and it's one of those things like fish and chips that is like a cheap, uh, relatively cheap street food type thing. Um, although, as I will go on to mention, it developed into a bit of a, a, bit of a thing. Are um, you suggesting that people might be gentrifying food? <laughs> well, surprisingly, well, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, no one has yet managed to gentrify jellied eels. <laughs> That genuinely surprises me. <laughs> I feel like... They gentrified broth, Hazel. I feel like there was an attempt during the kind of early 2000s hipster period. Um, certainly pie and mash. Pie and mash shops have become maybe perhaps a little bit of a gentrified thing. But jelly deals, I'm pretty sure, still remains <laughs> something that is quite particular to perhaps older people living in the East End. Um, although, there are still a few shops that are like doing a roaring trade still, so debatable, you know, it's, it's still going, it's not dying out. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it, it is. I'm, so I'm not entirely sure if I could become an aficionado of this regional dish myself um so the, the jellied eel 
is uh, eel, as you might expect. Um, it's it's cooked eel, um, usually boiled, with a kind of um, like special sauce. So I think it varies, but you make it usually... so delicious. <laughs> Usually it contains, um, you know, things like herbs or spices, um, vinegar. Um, and because the animal is quite, the eels are quite gelatinous. Um, so that kind of goes out into the sauce as you, as you cook it. Um, and then when you put it into pots, um, that all solidifies around the eel and preserves it. So is is it just the collagen from the eel that does that then, rather than adding jelly in? Uh, as far as I can gather, yes. I mean, there there may be different recipes hanging around. Um, I'm not sure what if if you bought jelly deals in say a like um, specialist supermarket or, or something. Or I think you can get them in some national supermarkets now as well. Um, I, they may contain extra preservatives for shelf life. Um, but I believe the traditional way to make them is is just to have the eel stuff, like, preserving it. Um, because this is actually quite an old thing, relatively. Um, this... Um, apparently, well, eels have been eaten for a long, long time. Um, the rivers of Europe used to be absolutely full of eels. Um, unfortunately, they are not really today. Um, but back in the day, the River Thames was chock full of eels. They were super cheap uh, and therefore they made great food for uh, the working classes or like a great snack um so jelly deals go back at least as far as the 1700s um possibly older but um this is a period where london is expanding quite rapidly in the industrial revolution and so that's kind of when it becomes a thing like you can get stalls and shops specifically selling jellied eels um, and like eel-based snacks. <laughs> um, so eel pie is also popular. Um, and I would definitely eat an eel pie. Yeah, I'd, I'd try that. I mean, I, I have tried jellied eels. <laughs> the jelly was off-putting. I, I don't do savoury jelly. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a jelly fan at the best of times. So I would. I would try it in pie form. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would absolutely eat an eel pie. In fact, I hope to one day. Um, there's still like quite a few shops in London where you can get apparently a very good eel pie, traditionally served with mash. Um, and. This is also served with what's called eel liquor, which is a sauce which is like bright green. It's flavored with parsley, um, and you serve it like with the pie, like gravy. 
So, <laughs> uh, so eel pie, mash, and liquor. I mean, fish and parsley is a legit of a combination. Oh yeah, it sounds nice, and I mean, it looks quite nice as well. Um, yeah. So this became like really, really popular in the nineteenth century, the Victoria. Um, so people who like couldn't afford to have a shop would be walking around with their like tray or their cart or whatever selling eels were, were these still from the thames at this point because um i believe some of them still were but also a lot were being shipped over from places like uh, the netherlands as well yeah because... i'm just thinking about the whole the thames was basically a big open sewer thing not yeah. sure I'd want to eat those eels. <laughs> Apparently, they were one of the very few fish that could survive in the Victorian Thames. That doesn't mean you should <laughs> eat them. <laughs> That's not exactly endearing it to me either. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, gradually, as the kind of street foods in the city started to get a bit more formalised. Um, pie and mash shops started to open. Um, and they became, like, super popular, um, selling jelly eels as the classic, apparently selling live eels as well, in case you wanted to cook them at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they, a lot of them, there are, pictures of some of the kind of early 20th century ones and they're they have that real kind of old shop aesthetic you know like the the fancy hand-painted signs and big counters and stuff nice um, yeah it looks quite cool and you you know that kind of the, the tiled shop fronts that were popular in um like late 19th century early 20th century um that it's yeah it's, it's quite cool um so there are several famous families in london that still run these pie and mash oh. eel shops eel dynasties <laughs> eel dynasties yeah i think this is ripe for like a uh peaky blinders style drama <laughs> absolutely set in the eel the jelly deal business <laughs> um, so the oldest apparently is manzi's manzi's i'm not sure how i'm pronouncing it it's m-a-n-z-e um founded by a, a immigrant from italy in the 1870s um who apparently began selling pies after failing in the ice cream business <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up with like a little eel empire like he had a few pie shops around london that's um, beautiful because ice cream's like the stereotype one isn't it yeah <laughs> like you're, you're italian you move to britain you sell ice cream <laughs> um but not not in london apparently not in the east end <laughs> you're doing eels um so yeah, one of these shops is still open. Um, it, it, oh no, hold on, there's two open. Sorry, um, I misread that. There's one open in Peckham, 
uh, and another one on Sutton High Street. So the Peckham one is the original, apparently. So if you want to give it a go, you can go there. Um, in fact, it's still run by the family, I believe. So That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and in 1998, um, they opened their, their shop in Sutton, um, giving the family the chance to say that they ran the oldest and the newest high and mash shops in London at the same time. That is beautiful <laughs> and I'm happy for them. It's great. Um, <laughs> I guess it must still be true if they have... Oh no, I guess some more have opened since then, but they still have the oldest. <laughs> um, there's also the Cook Pie Shops, um, which was also a popular chain. And... Um, yeah, quite a few other families that are, that are still going. So these places really have like a dedicated clientele who will keep coming back. And I think it's starting to become um, a bit of a a thing as well. I, I won't say it's the most popular thing for tourists in London, but um, I think it's definitely something people like to try if they hear about it. Um. And apparently they they have become quite quite popular with people on like business lunches as well because it's like a cheap lunch. Makes sense. So yeah, a, a short history and modern day update on the gelid eel and eel pie situation. Um let us know what you think. Which one would you try? <laughs> Which one would you try? Like situation. <laughs> sounds the like an indie band eel situation yes um and yeah they they don't come from the thames anymore at all really um unfortunately the <laughs> the eel situation in terms of their population in the country is still not great but um i i believe most of them still come from um europe cool yeah well Thank you for listening. As we said, we we do have a Patreon, uh, Bread and Thread. If you want to chuck us some pounds or dollars or whichever currency you use. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll eat a jelly deal if you do it. And given when this episode goes up, happy holidays, whichever, if any, you're celebrating. Oh yeah, a merry mid... Um, winter solstice season to you all. So thank you for listening and we will speak to you next time. <laughs>